pastors here. Is your life simpler yet? I guess we'll just start the series over. Well, I hope you're at least um, getting somewhere uh, on a path, on a journey towards something that is helpful and fruitful, uh, that maybe there have been some convictions that have started to take root and turn into actions. Uh, Whatever good work God has started, let it carry on to completion. Even though we end this series today, whatever it was that attracted you to this idea of simplifying, uh, let that continue and continue on that journey, even though we uh, finish up the series today. I've been encouraged by it. I've been in a group weekly, meeting with some folks over at the Epicenter, and uh, we watched a video each week of Heibel's doing some teaching. And one of the things that he said this week was, anytime you make a decision that leads to focus, that's simplifying. Uh, focus, clarity, that's, the, the, that's what we're after. We're trying to achieve that when we think about how we're spending our time and our money and how we approach our work, vocation, and we think about our relationships. And today we are seeing what kind of simplicity might be available to those who are willing to let God's Word lead. Let God's Word lead. What does that sound like to you? Does it sound like the preacher's going to tell you to read the Bible? Huh? Yeah. Uh, Heibel's in the video he talked about when he was a kid reading and memorizing the Bible. He described it as pain on a stick. So I don't know if that's what it sounds like for you. Sometimes we come at that, you know, I was coaching football all weekend doing a football camp, and sometimes, you know, preacher kind of comes at it like a football coach, you know, and tries to ram it. You, need, you ought to be reading this like it's your playbook. You need to know the plays. And you, you need, it's the Bible, for crying out loud. You've got to read it. Try to come at you like that. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to sit down. All right? Um, in a chair, uh, you know, this is the chair where I read the Bible, mostly. Uh, Heibel is in a previous week. He talked about having chair time with God. And, well, this, I guess, is where I have chair time. This was my first Bible that I ever got. Um, it says, Bible belongs to Luke Erickson, presented on March 18, 1991, by Nana, uh, on the occasion of your baptism. Um, I actually don't remember a lot about this Bible and, and how much I... Uh, really read it. It's hard to know what to do when you first get a Bible. And I mean, I got this when I was a kid. Look at how thick that is. I mean, are you kidding me? You get a book like that thick, the thin pages, the small print. It's got these funny chapters and sections. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, please get one today. We'd love to give one to you out at the desk or come to MI5 down front at the end uh, if you don't have one. And when, when you're kind of first wondering, what is this thing and how do I use it? I, I think we often settle into an understanding of the Bible um, as, now, we probably wouldn't say this or be able to name this, but I think we understand it oftentimes as a, a cookbook, something that you can glean recipes from for a, a given situation, like a quick fix cookbook when you've got friends coming over and you need something that you need to prepare that night. Uh, so it's like, um, I need some confidence for this job interview I'm going to. Give me a verse. I need to stop worrying about this test that I have to take. Give me a verse. I need some help making this decision uh, that I, I just don't know what to do, so give me a verse and, and fix it. Like it could, it could be that. It'll just help you get things right, or you can go in and just grab something and apply it, and, and it will work. Now, on the one hand, it kind of works. 
like that sometimes. You mean, if, if you've ever done this, just kind of this one and right here. And sometimes it's like, oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And uh, sometimes it kind of works. But on the other hand, it then becomes like a cookbook that stays on the shelf except when you need to eat and you can't come up with something on your own. And it's kind of, I suppose, this Bible was kind of like that for me. The thing I remember most uh, was being at camp as a young kid, Christian camp, and we would be in groups and have different competitions. One of them was memorizing the Bible. And I like competing, and I like to, to win things. And so I thought that, that would be something worth doing. And so uh, I really did. I, was, I would memorize it. It was like a thing to be accomplished. It was a mark of achievement. Um, that's why I was going to the Bible. Remember memorizing a longer section. First time I'd ever like memorize more than a verse ecclesiastes 3 1 through 8 for everything there is a season turn 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 that's not that's the song you know you you know that song um, but that's that's from the bible and i would say that described my relationship with god for most of the time that i owned this bible it was kind of an accomplishment thing i'm sort of an achiever just by nature i like to get things done and this you know reading the bible or trying to memorize something was just a thing that i could check off the list. And I think that it might be that way for most of us as we think about the Bible. Uh, In fact, I wonder if when we talk about Bible reading, no matter how it's presented, I wonder if we often hear it in this way. You you know, the dentist tells you, boy, you really need to floss. And the doctor tells you, you need to exercise more. And your mechanic tells you, don't be a dipstick. You need to check your fluid levels regularly. And your neighbor tells you, you need to fertilize your yard. And the teacher tells you to study for the test. And your parents tell you, you need to eat your vegetables. And the preacher tells you to read your Bible. These are the things that you need to do in order to be good at life. Right? You have to accomplish all of these things. The people who are good at life are the ones who can perform well in all of these areas. And of course, many more, as we know. And then if you're a Christian, well, one of the ways to know if you're a good Christian is if you're making the grade in the area of Bible reading. Because Bible reading, we're kind of taught, yeah, it is like a cookbook, like something that will help you in your life. Like you could apply its principles and then you could be better at living. It's a, a life improvement mechanism in the same way that these all are life improvement kinds of things. But that's not simple. And it's kind of defeating, really, because, I mean, let's just be honest, most of you aren't as good as I am at doing all of these things, right? (laughs) But, I mean, come on, you're not flossing. You're not flossing. Uh, I mean, what's the fluid level in in your car, your oil, your coolant? Do you know? It's hot out. You should know, all right? When's the last time you had dark green vegetables? How many of those did you eat yesterday? You getting exercises you want? No. But what what if reading the Bible wasn't a thing to be accomplished? What if the Bible wasn't just another life improvement tool? This is the Bible that I got when I graduated high school and before I went off to college. And, uh, it, you know, it's got some wear. I did use this thing. Duct tape's holding it together. And uh, it's the first Bible. I actually read all of it. And I've got marks on, on nearly every page, highlights and so forth. And... I'd like to tell you about one of them, just a small, uh, short little verse in Ephesians that had a, a sort of simplifying effect for me. It just kind of brought some clarity and helped me focus in a new way. Ephesians 5, verse 10 just says, and find out what pleases the Lord. And then down below that, uh, in some tiny writing that I wrote in here, 
it said, makes sense in a relationship, you try to find out what your girl likes. Why not do the same for God? So it's interesting reading some of these, uh, <laughs> these writings gives you a little window into where I was at. And um, so I was in college and I was very interested in dating girls. And I'm sure I was doing other things in life, probably. I don't know, but I was going out with girls. And so I got to thinking, you know, when you like somebody, you uh, take interest in them. You want to know who are they? What do they like? What don't they like? What makes them laugh? What makes them cry? What do they dream about? What do they want to be? Where are they headed? Who is this person? When you're interested in someone, you take interest in them. In essence, you try to find out what pleases them, and then you do those things. And this just helped me understand uh, so much what, what I was doing when I was reading the Bible. This helped me move from framing my understanding of that in terms of accomplishment to more relational terms. God wants a relationship with me, with all of us. And He has given us this as a tool to be used to enhance that relationship. He has given this to us as a gift, as an opportunity to connect with Him. But it's not about the gift, it's in order to connect us to the giver. It's, It's a relationship. We see God then as a relational partner. This is not something to be accomplished or conquered. This is how you enter into a dialogue and a conversation with God. And it was really just reinforcing something that is taught all throughout the Bible. Psalm 119 is this long section that really exalts the Word of God. But it says in verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. The desire to stay close to God's commands, it all flows from a, a seeking after God, the per, who He is. John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You need to remain in Me if you want to bear fruit. If, uh, if you remain in Me, I will remain in you. It's about the relationship and the connection that we can have with Christ. This is how we remain in Christ, by engaging with His Word. Apart from me, you can do nothing, He says. When I do a wedding, and a couple stands before me, uh, bride and groom, these are not two players that want to perform well. These are two people who want to know each other and be known by each other. And what they're forging is a relationship with, which can't exist without communication, conversation, a deep communion that they even develop. It can't exist unless you make yourself vulnerable and real and you expose yourself to the other person and you then take interest in them and you study them. It exists through uh, repentance and forgiveness. All of that happens in a relationship. And this is how we engage God in all of those ways that a relationship depends on. This is how we enter into a conversation with God. Through this tool, we can just find out what pleases the Lord and do those things. It's it's that simple. So then, uh, if you're not reading your Bible, it's not so much that you are failing, and you you should feel guilty about that, but you are cutting yourself off from a relationship that will give you life. Not opening your Bible is not so much like not opening your textbook and then uh, doing poorly on a test. But it's more like uh, putting duct tape over your friend's mouth while you're hanging out with them. God promises to be with us always. Does he ever get a chance to speak? How often do we let him talk? 
To even make another comparison, someone who reads the Bible, but does it in a uh, kind of check it off the list kind of way, or who says, yeah, I'll apply biblical principles to my life because that will help me make better decisions or achieve more. Uh, Someone who takes that approach might be like the man who makes the money and does the yard work and fixes the faucet and the drywall and goes to soccer games and even remembers anniversaries. But when you get right down to it, he's emotionally distant from the one he pledged his life to. And that's missing the point. The point of reading the Bible is so that it will thrust you into a conversation with the God who made you, the God who has pledged his life to you. Nobody needs another thing on their to-do list. But the opportunity to get to know someone, to meet someone, and get to know someone who's awesome and who has pledged themselves to you, that sounds like something worth focusing on to the exclusion of all of the things. Find out what pleases the Lord. Who is He? This will help you find that out. After college, I went to seminary, and uh, I got this Bible, and it all, it needs um, some duct tape here. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I use this one as well. And I, I went to seminary. I, I never thought I would go to graduate school. Um, but I liked it when I got there. The rigor of the academics really was uh, compelling for me, and I liked the experiences I was having in class. I liked what I was learning. My mind was kind of turned on in a whole new way, and I started to feel like I was getting smart. And I liked learning more stuff and kind of pumping myself up intellectually. I liked this new um, direction that that I was heading in. Uh, Fortunately, during that time, I also developed a, a pretty good discipline of reading the Bible and having some, uh, some chair time, right? So I would read and, and pray in the mornings before I would go to class. And I then also sort of challenged myself to do some memorization, not just of one verse, but uh, a longer section of Scripture. And I came across 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 2. And it was written by a man named Paul who excelled academically. He, uh, from all the academies that he had participated in, he would have been graduating from with flying colors. All right? Very respected for his intellect. All right? his, his acumen would have been noteworthy to the watching world. But he says this about this thing that he had given his life to, um, this message that he had committed himself to. He said this, for the message about the cross, you know, it's foolishness to the rest of the world. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. And then he says, where is the wise person? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You know, you got the Jews, they look for miraculous signs. And the Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, that's all. Just Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and the Gentiles think it's foolishness. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God is the source of your life in Christ, he says. And then he describes the approach that he took. For when I came to you, I did not come with wise and persuasive words. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with, in fear and with great trembling. When I was preaching to you, I didn't use wise and eloquent words. I didn't wax eloquently, but 
No, my preaching was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And then he concludes that section by saying, we have the mind of Christ. And I needed that in my mind before I became too impressed with myself for how much I was learning and how big my mind was growing. Paul says, I, yeah, I've got all that wisdom, all that worldly wisdom, but I chose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When I preach, it's not about how eloquent I can say it. It's about a demonstration of the Spirit's power working through me by God's grace. Better to be an ignoramus with Christ than a scholar without Him. Doesn't matter how much you know, you better know Jesus. A smart man said that, and I needed to know that, and so I decided to commit it to memory. I mean, all throughout seminary, I studied this book and I examined it thoroughly, but what's the point if I don't let it examine me? The examination would get uh, even deeper during that time in my life. Um, that was our first year of marriage. Holly and I, we graduated from college, got married, moved to Tennessee, and, and I started graduate school. And uh, the first year was, uh, wasn't good. It was, it was pretty rough. And I don't know what Holly would say. I would say it was, it was mostly my fault. And I wasn't, I wasn't cheating. I wasn't, you know, living a lie or I didn't have these big secrets. But when I got married, I vowed to cherish my wife. And I wasn't doing that. You know, a lot of times you can be fooled into thinking, well, this marriage is kind of what I can get out of it. Right? But that's not... Those are not the vows that I made about to cherish her and honor her and look after her interests ahead of my own. And I wasn't doing that. And it, I mean, I can still remember some nights, uh, moments, just uh, when it felt like our whole relationship was hanging in the balance just on this one conversation. And I don't, I don't even like thinking about it. I don't like being there. Interestingly, though, kind of on a parallel track, as I've already suggested, I, was, um, I loved the intellectual growth that I was experiencing and I would say spiritual growth. I had developed this discipline of chair time in the morning, but you know, waking up at 6 for about 45 minutes or an hour before I would go on with the rest of my day. I was reading the Bible and praying. And then Easter came around that first year and as you may know, Lent is a season leading up to Easter, kind of a time of preparation, 40-day period. And oftentimes for Lent, Christians will give up something in order to help them prepare to celebrate Easter. And I decided that I would give up um, talking in my prayers for that period. I wouldn't say anything out loud and not even sort of mentally, not conveying anything to God in, in terms of a prayer. I was just going to try listening to God. I kind of heard about that and wanted to see what that was like. And so every morning I would get up and I would read and uh, then I would sit there. And it was very uninspiring uh, for most of the time. I didn't really know what to do. My mind would wander. Sometimes I'd try to you know, meditate on the text that I had read, but it, that was challenging. I didn't really know how I should be feeling or what I should be thinking or like, is it working? I, I, I don't know. And most of the time I just, I don't know, I just do it as long as I can stand it and then I'll be done. And it just went, kind of went on like that with nothing really, I guess, until about day 38 when I would say, and you've maybe heard people talk like this before, and you're like, what does that mean? I don't even know what you're saying exactly. But I would say I heard from God 
And it wasn't an audible voice. I've never heard anything like that. Nothing was written on the wall or in the stars or anything like that. But it was so clear that I would say God impressed something on me. And he said, Luke, you cannot be the leader that I've called you to be in my church if you cannot be the husband I've called you to be in your own home. And I needed to hear that. Now, that's not cookbook kind of stuff. That's not some, some quick fix kind of thing. I didn't even know I needed to hear that. Yeah, I wouldn't go looking for that. I just, I, I don't know, I just tried to immerse myself in the Word of God and give Him an opportunity to speak, which for a long time, longer than I expected, it didn't seem like anything was happening until it did. And I received a word that really has altered the trajectory of my life. And I'm just glad I was listening. A good friend of mine on staff here, Tom Moen, who's been kind of a mentor to me, it was like he talks about this story when Jesus, um, Jesus' disciples are out fishing and they don't catch anything. And Jesus goes out and he says, no, you need to throw your nets into the deep water. And they catch a bunch of fish. And he uses that as a metaphor to describe uh, going into the deep water with Christ, uh, really deepening your relationship. And this Bible helped me go into the deep water, for which I'm very grateful. And if that was true of that Bible, um, this is my Bible today, and I would say that it has um, saved me when I was drowning. I talked, two weeks ago I preached, and I talk a little bit about my trip to Uganda. We just got back a couple months ago. We adopted two boys. And it was a hard trip. It was longer than we wanted it or expected it to be. Fifteen weeks we spent there and um, a lot of challenges there. Uh, uh, It's unknown. You don't know what's happening. Nothing really makes sense. You're just waiting and the kids are getting sick and you're going to the hospital and they got high fevers and it's hot outside in these foreign uh, doctors, and you're not sure exactly if they're getting the right treatment. And then we sent our girls home, and the emotional pain of being away from them for several weeks, and just all the little stuff bed bugs, and mosquito bites, and the pollution. And uh, you add all that up, it just ticked me off. I mean, it just was, it was really hard. And I started to harden. I could feel it. And I uh, just kind of started wearing that way, just a hard expression. And um, I didn't really want to go to church. While we were over there, I didn't read the Bible much. Didn't, didn't want to go to church, especially with those Africans. They're all exuberant and happy, acting like God's real. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to hear from God. I was trying to think about the things that I would say, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, the things that I would say to someone else in my situation. I didn't want to hear that. I, frankly, I didn't really know what to do. Um, and I'd kind of make myself feel guilty for that, because it seems like I should know. And then about week 10, the Word saved me. And I'd like to just take you through it. I opened up to the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, toward the end of your Bible. And I just started reading about the first four or five chapters. It begins by exalting 
Jesus, which is always a good place to start. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's who Jesus is. Good to reorient yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ who holds the whole universe together as I'm dealing with my little problems here. But that Jesus... uh, he was for a time made lower than the angels. Even though he was high exalted above all creation, was for a time made lower, came down here below the angels. And now he is again crowned with glory and honor because down here he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be subjected to a world that doesn't make any sense. And in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Why why would I expect anything else? Jesus, who is Lord over all of the world, has come into this broken world and subjected himself to it. The pioneer of our faith. The Bible all, all over the place says, imitate Jesus and look at him. What do you see him doing? Suffering for our sake. Why would I expect it to be any different? I'm over here complaining about my little suffering. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what it is to suffer. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So then, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he goes into this section where he is going to refer to um, the story of God's people back here in the book of Exodus, way back in the beginning. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and brought them on the way to the promised land. They were stuck in the wilderness. And the Hebrew writer calls up that story in order to say, now you people, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So God uh, was faithful to his people and brought them out of Egypt. They cried to him. They were in slavery and said, God, you've got to do something about this. And he did. He rescued them and brought them out of slavery into Egypt and had a land of promise awaiting them. But they had to go through the wilderness to get there. Those people uh, had been saved by God. But yet some of them said, no, God, we're, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to go our own way. When it got hard, they said, no, what? we're going to go and do our own thing. And the Hebrew writer is saying, don't be like that. Don't let that same thing happen to you. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And just as it has been said, he says it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then he goes to this interesting section, calling to mind that story again back in Exodus. He says, who were they who heard and rebelled? Who were those people that did that? Wasn't it all of the people that Moses led out of Egypt? Those people who who fell short, 
who, who got in a hard place and rebelled. Wasn't it the same people that had a story to tell about God's faithfulness and provision, about God showing up in miraculous and magnanimous ways and rescuing them and bringing them out of their distress and leading them toward the promised land? Wasn't it those very people who then said, no thanks, God, we're done. You've brought us this far, but we're going to take it from here. And the Hebrew writer describes that land of promise as entering into God's rest. And these people were, they did not enter God's rest. They, they chose, you know what, we're not doing the God thing anymore. They had let themselves get so hardened because life was hard, and so they bailed. And so I got to, th- I mean, am I not also a person who has story after story to tell of God's faithfulness and God's goodness and Him bringing, us on, bringing me on a journey and bringing us, you know, 10 weeks into Uganda? I mean, it's me. Am I now going to disqualify myself, being led astray by sin's deceitfulness and being hardened, not holding firmly to the end, disqualify myself from the prize? Is that going to be me now? But the promise of entering his rest still stands. So let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of it. And then he says it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And that saved my heart from calcifying and helped me finish the journey. By God's grace, I am glad that he spoke in a way that I wasn't looking for. I didn't even really want to hear. But by his grace, I listened and (laughs) it saved me. I don't know if I can convince you to read the Bible. But I am convinced that I would not know Jesus without this. And, and, and he would not know me. And I wouldn't know myself. No other thing could help me in all of those ways in the way that the Bible can. So I don't know uh, where that leaves you or uh, what experience you've had with the Bible, how much or how little... You've read it. Uh, But if we were just going to, if you were coming to me saying, you know what, I don't know much about that. I'm trying to figure out where to start. If we were just kind of sitting down on the couch and talking and you said, well, where would I start? I would say, well, I would start with Jesus because remember, that's what it's about anyway. And uh, the people that tell, the writers that tell Jesus' story are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament. New Testament is about that big in your Bible. This is the Old Testament. This is the story of God's interaction with his people through history and uh, his charging them to be agents of blessing to the whole world and largely their failures in doing that and God reminding them, you know what, I'm still going to use you. And then you get to 
Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to be an agent of blessing in the world. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew tells the story of Jesus from this perspective, and Mark tells it from this perspective, and Luke tells it from this perspective, and then John kind of tells it from this perspective, but they're all uh, talking about the same thing, kind of reacting to this person called Jesus who came and said, I'm the God you've been reading about in the Old Testament. Now he's here in the flesh. So start there. Um, start uh, in one of the Gospels, the book of John is uh, what I would say if you're just starting. I'd also say get a Bible that is in a language, in, in a translation that you can understand. There's all different kinds. The Bible is written in order to be understood. So if you're reading a Bible that isn't really in common language that you use, then find one. There's um, all kinds of different translations, and they will point you in the right direction. I would say, too, if you notice, this one says the word study Bible on it. Um, that means essentially that if you open up to a given page, it will have the text of the Bible here and then a line probably and then some notes underneath that that help you explain what you're reading. If you see something kind of confusing, Jehoiachin, who's that? And you kind of can read down there. You know, you're reading. You're like, did Jesus just tell me to give away all my money? What does that mean? Surely it can't mean that. Let me read, you know, something like that. Uh, give you a little clue on, on what you're reading, okay? So if you are going shopping for a Bible and you see the words study Bible, it will have some tools. And again, it just helps you develop an ear for what God is saying to you. It helps you get the duct tape off his mouth so he can speak and you can hear what he's trying to say because uh, it is a different kind of reading than maybe you have done before. Uh, I would also say that the story, this is something we did three years ago here. Many of you probably remember it. The story is just the text of the Bible rearranged to fit in chronological order and read like a story. Okay? So if you're reading this, you are kind of, um, it's unfolding. It will be in a different order than what your Bible is, but that is just trying to move you along the path of, of history as the Bible records it. You can listen to it as well. For some of you, your chair time is going to involve a steering wheel because you're going to listen to it in the car and redeem the time on the way to work. All right? You can do that with the story. You can do that with the Bible. There's pl plenty of audio versions available if that's a better way for God to speak to you. Uh, I would also say we talk all the time here about getting in small groups. Uh, that's a fancy term we have for groups that are small. And uh, if you're in one of those, you, you study different things, no doubt, books like Simplify, but let the Bible be at the center of what you're doing as a group. Not that you can't study other, other books, but don't stray too far away from hearing God's Word in the Scriptures. And as you're examining it and as it's examining you and you do that in a community with other people, it all increases understanding. And then finally, if you're someone who has some familiarity with the Bible and you're looking for your next step, maybe there is a way you can go deeper, I would say, toward memorization. Uh, whether it's a simple verse that you're going to stick on your mirror and kind of go over it every day, or it's an even longer section of Scripture that you're just going to swim in and kind of marinate, um, let God marinate His truth in your mind and uh, watch it play out in your life. Again, it's about the relationship. Don't, don't read the Bible because you just want to improve your life. Okay? Don't read it because you just need to check something off your list and sort of get good spiritual points or something like that. Read it because you want to know the person, Jesus Christ, who made you and who wants a relationship with you. Take the duct tape off his mouth and let him speak and be ready to listen. And in those ways, we will all learn to let God's word lead. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the way 
that your word does lead us. Uh, thank you for uh, thinking enough of us to, to speak and to share your wisdom with us, to give us a, a clue about who you are and what pleases you, what you like, what you dream about. Thank you for the guidance that comes when we uh, hear your voice and um, apply it. So I pray that all of those practical things that we need to do, uh, whether it's buying a Bible or just opening it or um, taking our next step and memorizing it and, and deepening our understanding of it, whatever it is, give us the courage and the ability to take that um, so we could hear your voice. That's what we want. We want to know who you are, and we want you to know us. We want to develop a communion with you. Thank you for how your word helps us in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.